Let's stand for the reading of the Word of God this morning. Very quickly, I know we're running tight on time. I have two quick passages of Scripture I'd like you to read. Psalms 23, we're going to read verses 1 to 3. Psalms 23, and then John chapter 10, verse 11. Members, if you could look around you, if someone doesn't have a Bible, if you'd share your Bible with them, that'd be a blessing. Otherwise, I believe the verses will be up on the screen as well as in the handouts that were given. Psalms 23. Psalms 23. If you've been to a funeral, if you've been to any kind of church anywhere, you probably have heard or read Psalms 23 at one time or the other. We're just going to read three verses on this. Are you there? Say amen. All right, Psalms 23. Follow as I read, please. The Lord is my shepherd. How many are glad Jesus is your shepherd this morning? Amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or you might say he was saying, I shall not lack. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We'll stop there. Go with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. I want you to read one verse with me, verse 11. John, chapter 10, verse 11. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I'm going to preach your message very quickly this morning, shortly, just entitled by a question. Can Jesus be your good shepherd? Can Jesus be your good shepherd? Remind of a story as we begin the message this morning about a man of who was born in Italy and immigrated here to the United States, but it was pretty much old country, if you might say. And uh, he lived out in the country, somewhere in an eastern state from here, and had a large garden and enjoyed uh, digging and planting his tomato garden. And, but as he got older, it was a little bit harder to bend over and do those kind of things. And uh, one year he wanted to plant this tomato garden, but he realized he needed help. And he had a, a son by the name of Vincent, but Vincent got in trouble and was in jail. In fact, Vincent got sent up to St. Prison in his state there. And so the old man was thinking about that tomato garden he really wanted to plant before spring started. So he wrote a letter to Vincent. He said, Dear Vinny, I'm feeling pretty bad because it looks like I won't be able to plant my tomato garden this year. I'm just getting too old to be digging up a garden plot. I know if you were here, my troubles would be over. I know you would be happy to dig the plot for me. Love, Dad. A few days later, the man got a letter from Vinny. And the letter was this, basically one sentence. Dear Dad, don't dig up the garden. That's where I buried the bodies. Love, Vinny. Well, at 4 o'clock in the morning, the FBI and the local police came there and dug up the entire ground. Everything was dug up. They were looking for bodies. And after a long period of time, they realized there were no bodies there. They came back to the old man. They said, sir, we're sorry we had to trip your garden, but uh, we, we didn't find what we were looking for. The next day, the father got a letter again from Vinny. And the letter read as following. He said this, Dear Dad, go ahead and plant the tomatoes that you want to grow. That's the best I could do under the circumstances. Love, Vinny. <laughs> so this morning, I want to thank you for doing the best under the circumstances to be in church today as we wish to honor God and lift up our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you today. We've had the privilege of recognizing and acknowledging our, uh, our first responders. And Lord, thank you for all that they represent. I know we said so much about that today, but thank you for them so much. For a moment, Lord, today I pray for our membership as they are here and our attendees. Some have been through some rough times. Some have been through some difficult waters. Some of you are looking for leadership. Some are in paths, they're not really sure they're in the right place at the right time or even with the right people. 
Most importantly, I think all of us have gone through this week and recognized there's perhaps an emptiness in our hearts that only you can fill. As we look at the question, can Jesus Christ be your good shepherd? Would you fill every heart? Would you calm our fears? Would you use the message to encourage others today? And we'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm thankful to have my good friend, Pastor Paul Brinkman, here with me. I was invited by him about three years ago to come to Oakland, New Zealand, on the northern part of the island, to visit them there. And on the first day, after about a 12- or 13-hour flight, we, were, we just had landed and were just getting settled there. And Pastor Brinkman, his wife, Hera, came to pick us up. And he said, what have you seen? And I said, Pastor, I haven't seen anything. So he took me up to, if you ever get to Auckland, you want to go visit this place. It's called Cornwall Park. And uh, Cornwall Park is a very, very beautiful area. It's, a, it's many, many acres there, and it's just rich in landscape and scenic views. And there are a lot of grazing animals that you find there. And what caught my attention is he was making his way up the hill, the landscape there, that there, on the green landscape there, there were just lots and lots and lots of sheep. If you know anything about New Zealand, New Zealand is known for sheep. And I'd ask, I asked Pastor Brinkman, I said, if you don't mind, could you stop the car every now and then? I just want to get up close to the sheep. And I tried to get to them, and that's about as close as I could get on this particular picture there. But just was enjoying the landscape and being around the, the little lambs and the sheep and following them around during that morning there. As we were getting back into the car and making our way around Cornwall Park and just touring it, kind of my mind was just stuck for probably the next hour about sheep, shepherds, and what we just read. Or thought about Psalms 23. Psalms 23 was written by uh, King David. It's called the Shepherd Psalm. In fact, it's a trilogy of psalms that deal with the shepherd. Psalms 22, Psalms 23, and Psalms 24. This psalm is so great. Almost every, every memorial or funeral service that you'll go to, celebration life service, this psalm is read there. In many victorious celebrations, people read that. You ask anybody who's been a believer for any number of years, they'll tell you, if you ask them, what is your favorite chapter of the Bible? Invariably, many people will say Psalms 23. The great British preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, that Psalms 23 is David's heavenly pastoral, the divine ode of the psalms. He later on said it's called the pearl of the psalms. Henry Ward Beecher, which was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon, said this, it is the nightingale of the Psalms. Notice here, it says in Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. David was a shepherd by trade. Hugh grew up in a family of shepherds. His father, Jesse, and his grandfather, they were shepherds. When we find David introduced in the scriptures in 1 Samuel 16, David is a boy, 15, 16 years of gaze, taking care of the family sheep. He was part of the sheep business. He was in the the area of Bethlehem, and the Bethlehem hillside contained many, many sheep. David wrote from experience, but he wasn't saying he was the shepherd. He was saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In John chapter 10, verse 11, we find out who the shepherd is that David is talking about. In John 10, 11, Jesus Christ declared emphatically, I am not just a shepherd, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. You know, we look at life and we look at good and we look at bad. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament about some shepherds that didn't do their job. They didn't stay with their flocks. They left their flocks and their flocks were attacked by predators and eaten up. Or some that let the flocks scatter away. The Bible says smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. The Bible describes bad shepherds. But here in the scriptures we read about a good shepherd. And that good shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone needs a good shepherd. Everyone must have a good shepherd. And my question I want to give you this morning is, can Jesus Christ be your good shepherd? Now, for us to understand how to answer that question, we must consider some things about the good shepherd. Number one, would you consider with me the description of the shepherd? 
When we read Psalms 23, we need to understand the nature of sheep and the nature of the shepherd. Now, sheep are very lovable animals, especially when they're little lambs in the first year. They're very lovable animals. Children love them. Adults love them. They're very lovable. But something unique about sheep, especially lambs, that they're very naive and they lack discernment. They're very not knowledgeable about where to go. And as David describes the good shepherd, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Sheep need to be led. A shepherd in his job is, a, is an ongoing job. His job is almost like our first responders. His job is 24-7. He has to be with them at all seasons of the year, hot seasons, cold seasons. He has to be with them in the daytime. He has to be with them in the evening. In fact, he has to give watch here at night. The most dangerous time for a shepherd is at night. most dangerous time for our first responders at night. Weird things happen at night. Things come out of the woodworks at night. Bad things happen at night. Amen, you know? Things happen like that. And shepherds understood that. Shepherds knew that predators come out. In the, in the Judean landscape, you had wolves and you had bears and you had lions that would come out. And the shepherd had to make sure that the sheep that were inside that fold were taken care of. Now notice the Bible says, he maketh me to lie down. Shepherds in their job do the leading. Shepherds lead. Now the word shepherd, when you look at the word, the underlying word, both in the Hebrew and Greek, the word shepherd means to feed. But the word feed also implies to lead. So, for instance, a pastor is called a shepherd. The word pastor is derived from shepherd. And the key role of a pastor is to feed the flock. The Bible says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. A shepherd's key responsibility is he is to lead the sheep. He is to be in front of them. He is to lead them into green pastures. You leave it up to a sheep to find, to find green pastures, they'll just look for anywhere they can go, and they'll wind up in a brown, barren spot and will eat that. The shepherd wants to make sure they've eaten well and they're cared for. He leads them beside green pastures. He leads them beside still waters. Sheep left to themselves, if they're not very careful, they'll wind up by a river that's moving very quickly. And if you know anything about sheep, if they topple over on their side, especially after they've eaten much, they, they're in this place, this position that's called cast down. And being cast down, they cannot pick themselves back up and say so they need help. So he leads them beside still waters so that they don't fall in the water and get carried away by the current there. A shepherd's role is to lead the sheep, to guide them along. A shepherd leads where he feeds, and he feeds where he leads. That's why David could say that, that, that he leads them beside the green pastures. Jesus Christ said about himself in John 10, verse 3, he leadeth them out. You see, when we think about the leading of the shepherd, it gives confidence to us. He leads us in the right places. Can I tell you something about Jesus Christ as a good shepherd? He never leads you in the wrong way. He never leads you in the wrong place. He never leads you to make a bad decision. He leads you where it is safe. He leads you where it is best. You can trust Jesus Christ to be the good shepherd and the leader of your life. In our Christian circles, and Baptist circles, we love singing a song here that describes Christ as our shepherd. It's entitled, God Leads Us Along. Listen to the lyrics. In shady green pastures, so rich and so sweet, God leads his dear children along. Where the water's cool flow bathes the weary one's feet, God leads his dear children along. Listen to this. Some through the waters, some through the flood. Some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. We're thankful in his description. We see shepherds are responsible for leading. But I want you to notice something else about Jesus Christ that distinguishes him from an earthly shepherd. Shepherds not only lead, but our good shepherd, he loves he loves his sheep. Notice what he says in John chapter 10. Jesus Christ speaks about his sheep. He loves his sheep. He cares for his sheep 
all the time. He's the shepherd that goes after that one sheep that goes astray. He puts his life at risk to rescue that sheep. He's there for the sheep all the time. He stays with his sheep. He cares for the sheep, whether they're by him or if they wander away. He rescues the one that wanders away. In fact, we read the Bible, and it tells us he knows all his sheep by name, and the sheep know his voice. There's an intimacy. There's a closeness. There's an affection between sheep and their shepherds. Sheep will not respond to the voice of a stranger. They only respond to the voice of the one who's their shepherd. And I'm thankful this morning that we can say about Jesus Christ that he loves his sheep. He loves you and me. You see, the Bible tells us in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And there the gospel, the Bible is summarized in a nutshell in that one verse. God loves the world. God loves you and God loves me. It doesn't matter our circumstance. It doesn't matter what bad decisions we've made. It doesn't matter what has happened in our life. God loves us no matter what it is. And he loves us so much that Jesus Christ himself died for your sins and mine. I'm thankful this morning, friend, that we can call Jesus Christ the good shepherd because of his description. But notice something else if you notice John 10, 11. And this verse here speaks to me very, very, it touches my life, and I pray it touches you, on why Jesus Christ should be our good shepherd. We see the description of the good shepherd, but notice in verse 11, he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Now I want you to understand, as we go back for a moment, I want you to go back about 2,000 years ago with me, back at the setting there in Jerusalem, outside the temple, the, uh, of the, the Terrence temple, where Jesus spoke those words. Because at where, where he was at, I, I believe where he was at here, was very close to an area called the Sheep Gate. And the Sheep Gate is where shepherds would bring their flocks that they've raised. They would bring the year, the lambs of one year old through that Sheep Gate. And through that Sheep Gate, they would be taken to the area where the sheep would be slain and sacrifices would be made. Sheep were offered as a sacrifice. It was, a, it was, a symbolic, it was symbolic of them offering the sheep for the satisfying of God's, God's judgment for sin. And as Jesus is speaking these words, I can't help but think that sheep were going through the sheep gate. And you could hear the sheep bleeding, uh, bleed, uh, giving off their sounds. That he makes this statement there was just astounding to everyone that was there. Because everyone in attendance there was used to the idea of sheep dying for the shepherd. Or sheep dying for the sinner. Or sheep dying for people. But Christ makes an astounding statement. It's a doctrine of scripture. He said, I am the good shepherd. And he said in verse 11, I let give my life for the sheep. Now, I'm thankful today that Jesus Christ can be our good shepherd because of the description. But we can be thankful today that Jesus Christ can be your good shepherd because of his death. Notice it again. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd who died for the sins of the world. Now, when we think about that, we're so used to hearing that. We're such in a, I might say this, and I might say it in the wrong way, but we're such a, maybe what I would call a very Christianized society. And maybe somewhere along the way, because your religious persuasion, or perhaps because you've been given a pamphlet by, from someone like, from a church like ours, that explains the gospel message, we read in there about Christ dying for our sins, but I want you to pause in time with me, and I want you to take a moment to think about the death of Jesus Christ. I've been at many places where someone has died. 
I, we recently attended a service yesterday for a young man that used to attend our church and uh, tragically died in a car accident down in San Jose and was so sad to see his body there, but I'm thankful his soul is in heaven. But just a moment, there's my wife and her reflecting. We thought, you know, such a young life and his life being taken away so soon. And, you know, there's never a right time to die. And there's never, there's never, it's just, it's never, never a pleasant situation to deal with that. And as we think about the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's not a, 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 it's not a, 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 a very a colorful or, if you would, a very, very cheerful description we give. And you'll notice this morning there's the sacrifice in his death. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it describes the death of Christ or the sacrifice of Christ as follows. Paul, encouraging the believers, said, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us a offering and a sacrifice to God for sweet-smelling savor. I want you to notice in the sacrifice, the uniqueness of a sacrifice. A sacrifice means one life is given for another. It means that a payment is made. Jesus' payment for us is that he gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins. Notice again, he gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. What the Jewish sacrificial system could not satisfy because it had, the sheep had to be offered every year. And the bulls and goats had to be offered recurrently. The death of Jesus Christ satisfied all of God's demands for sins. He was the one supreme ultimate sacrifice that satisfied God's demands. We see the sacrifice in his death. But would you consider this morning in Isaiah 53, 6, would you consider the suffering in his death? Isaiah in chapter 53 gives a very, very vivid description of what Christ went through. Isaiah 53, 6 but says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we were healed. Would you notice those words? He was wounded. He was bruised. He was battered. He was insulted. When it says they put his stripe, they put stripes on him, Christ had to be, was whipped with the Roman cat of nine tails 39 times. They tore his back to shreds. Isaiah describes the fact that as he stood on trial for crimes he never committed, that as he stood there, the Roman soldiers came about him and they literally tore the facial hair off his face. And the Bible describes he was so beaten and pummeled by those Roman soldiers and by the Jews that hated him that the Bible says he was beyond human recognition. He said he was so marred we could not recognize him. I mean, I want you to understand this morning Christ suffered for you and I. We think about he was wounded, he was bruised. And then the Bible uses the word chastised. The chastisement means someone uh, being, being punished. And he was punished for your sins and mine. I want you to understand something. Christ was the sinless son of God. There was nothing he did that deserved punishment, but he took your place and mine. He was punished for your sins and mine. Why? Because the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Sin must be punished. Hey, crime has to be punished. We have established laws in our land. Those criminal laws and civil laws are to be observed. When you break those laws, there is a penalty that's assessed to it. There are civil penalties and there are also criminal penalties. And you must bear the brunt of it. The Bible says very specifically the wages of sin is death. To remind you morally and spiritually that we're all born in this world with a sinful nature. And because of that sinful nature, God who is just, God's laws, his holy laws have been broken by our sins no matter what they may be. And those sins must be punished. Christ was our sacrifice in his death. He suffered in his death. But you notice something else. Jesus Christ was the substitution in his death. Would you notice these verses here in Romans chapter 5, verse 8? It says this, but God commendeth or proved his love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, listen to this, Christ died for us. Can you fathom those words? 
Christ died for us. Christ died for you. Christ died for me. Christ died for Pastor Brakeman. Christ died for Pastor Sacramento. Pa Christ died for Alan Falls. Christ died for Grace Fong. Christ died for us. He took our place. He was the just or the righteous one who died for the unjust. Can you fathom that this morning? He took our place. He, if you would, we would say in our vernacular, Western way, say, he took the bullet for us. He took our place. He died for our sins. And notice, while we were yet sinners, we deserved to be punished and to sent to hell for our sins. Christ died for us. And notice this, much more than. Here's what Paul's saying. I've got something better than just to tell you he was our substitute. Much more than, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Christ died for our sins, that our sin penalty would be paid for. But when we put our complete faith and trust in Christ alone for the payment of our sins, God removes his wrath, God removes his justice away from us. And the Bible says much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now listen, there's a term, that, 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 a legal term that's used that, that every criminal likes to hear. When there's a judgment against them and the record declares they've done wrong, they like to hear when a judge says, I will expunge this off his record. And the word expunge for anybody who's in trouble is a beautiful word because it basically means they're going to erase out of that what, what happened there. And when they look again at the record, the record is clear. Now, the word justified means that. It means God looks at you and me when we put our faith and trust in Christ. God looks in you and me as if we'd never sinned. Your faith and trust is in Christ as Savior. You recognize today that he no longer holds you guilty or accountable for those sins. They are forgiven forever, and you have the gift of God's eternal life there. What a wonderful thing to think about our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's a good shepherd because of his description. He's a good shepherd because of his death. And we're almost done, but you notice one more thing today. Go back with me, John chapter 10. Jesus is a good shepherd because he is the door. But you notice something Christ said very interesting in this passage? In John chapter 10, verse 9, Christ said this, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Now, the entire context here, as we read John chapter 10, is dealing with the shepherd, the sheep, and the sheepfold. And we have to understand what's going on here as we go back 2,000 years ago, back to the Judean landscapes. A shepherd's sheepfold basically was a self was an enclosure that he made. And he would try to find a place against a hill or against a mountain somewhere that would serve as his backside. And then he and his helpers would take rocks and build a rock enclosure around that area so that on both sides, on both sides there, that it would have a rock enclosure. It would be probably about chest high, about my height, so that it would keep predators from trying to get in. And, and then on the front there, he'd put some more rocks there, and he'd have one opening that would be large enough for, for our man to lie down across, and that opening be larger so sheep could come through there. Now, that was called the sheepfold. And so the shepherd would bring the sheep in. He'd, make, he'd count them off. He knew them by name. He would look at them. He knew their peculiarities. He'd have them come in. As they would come into the sheepfold, he would inspect them and check if there were parasites under their fur, under their, their wool and things like that, and extract the parasites on them. Or if he noticed that maybe their nostrils were inflamed or inflared, up because of the of parasites who were there, he would take some 
oil and put that ointment inside their noses or in their ears to keep the, the, the parasites from going back in. And, and then he'd let them back in there. And then at nighttime, to be protected, there, there was the, 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 the front entryway, the only way in and out would be just right there where he let them in. The shepherd himself would be the door. The shepherd would lie down across that pathway, and he would be the guardian. He would be the gatekeeper. Nothing could go in except to pass to him, and nothing could go out except to pass to him. And with that in mind, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm the door to the sheepfold. He said, I am the door. He said, the way to enter in is through me. In the morning, he would get up, and he would lead the sheep out. And as he would lead the sheep out, they would follow him because they recognized his voice, and he'd lead them beside the green pastures where they would eat, and he would lead them to the still waters where they would drink, and he'd keep a vision vigilant eye over them day and by night. He would watch them to make sure no wolves would come or lions would come or bears would come to attack them. And then as the sun would start to set about 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he would start leading them back into the sheepfold. And as the very last sheep made its way in, the shepherd would make sure they're there. He'd call them out by name. He'd count them down. And then he'd lie across here. And listen, the good shepherd there, he represented to them. If a, if a wolf came, if a lion came, he would give his life for them. But what he wanted us to understand as we read these scriptures many years later. He is the door. He is the way in. Can I tell you this morning, Jesus died for your sins. But in order for you to make sure you're saved and your sins are forgiven and heaven's your home, we must recognize he's the door that we must go through. Can I say two things about them? We're done. Number one, Jesus Christ is an open door. He's an open door. He said, I am the door. By me, I like this phrase, if any man enter in, anybody can come through there. Aren't you glad about that today? You're not, so, you're not such a bad sinner or you're not such a good sinner that you can't come in. Any man can come in there. It doesn't matter our language. It doesn't matter our ethnicity. It doesn't matter our background. It doesn't matter how confused we are. It doesn't matter how messed up we may have been in the past. Listen, he says if any man can come in, he is an open door. And by the way, this morning, that door is wide open for you to come through. He's not only the open door, but I'm thankful this morning he's the only door. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Christ came to earth for one mission, to die for our sins. I'm thankful today our first responders have an important mission. And there you walk into one of their agencies, they'll have their mission statement listed there. It's very clear they're there to protect our, our, our counties and our cities and protect the public. It's very embedded in their mind when they get up in the morning. They don their uniforms. They know what they represent. They know what they're there for. Yes, it's a career. And yes, it's a calling. But yes, they also recognize there are sacrifices they need to make. And I'm thankful for their sacrifices. But I'm going to tell you this morning, when Jesus Christ left the glory of heaven, he stepped out of eternity into time. And he was God manifest in the flesh. And he was made of a woman, but made under the law. And he came and took himself in history here as the, the son of God who took your place in mind. He walked the shores of Galilee. But listen, he didn't come to be just a teacher. And he didn't come just to proclaim himself as, as someone who was mighty there in Nazareth. He came because he was the son of God who came with one mission. That was to die for the sins of all the world. And I'm thankful for that today. John chapter 10, verse 9. He said, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. As we close this morning, I think about Christ being the good shepherd. Jesus Christ can be the good shepherd because of his description. And Jesus Christ can be your good shepherd because of his death. And Jesus Christ can be your good shepherd because he's the door. But I want you to notice this one last thought. Look at verse 28 and we're done. Jesus Christ can be your good shepherd because of his dependability. Would you notice this great word of assurance he gives us in John 10, 28 and 29? He's still on the, the context of being a shepherd sheep, a sheepfold, the door, 
And he says this, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now watch what he's doing here, and I'm all done. He has this colorful image of the sheep. He's the shepherd, the good shepherd, the sheepfold that's backed up against the hill. He's the door. And he gives us assurance. He says, listen, all the sheep are inside. He said, I lay down my life for my sheep. He gives his life voluntarily, and he did that 2,000 years ago. And he makes a statement, I give unto them eternal life. When you take Jesus Christ as your Savior, he gives you the gift of eternal life. It's nothing you have to earn or work for. It's the gift of God. Aren't you glad about that this morning? Amen? It's the gift of God. I give unto them eternal life. And he says this, if you have any worries and concerns, will I lose my salvation? He says, they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Can Jesus be your good shepherd this morning? Can Jesus be the shepherd of your soul? Can you take him and say like David, the Lord is my shepherd? Do you have that relationship with him? This morning as we close, I invite you today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not 100% sure you're saved and going to heaven, we want to make, make it possible for you to know that today. You can simply, by faith, accept Christ into your heart. You can call upon him this morning in this service to know for certain, with, without any uncertainty, you can have 100% assurance that Christ can save you from your sins and make you a son of God. You have forgiven your sins, and you can know that you have the gift of eternal life.